Hello, welcome to the conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galina. Hi. Hello, Henrietta. How are you? I'm okay. Not too bad. Still in quarantine. How are you doing? Um, yeah, we're still in quarantine. I got to tell you, over the last week, um, it's been a turning point for me. I got to tell you, I have been really appreciating the quarantining. It feeds right into my natural way. I can be quite hermetic. I be- can be quite a loner. But um, it's taking its toll, Henrietta. My brain is getting a little mushy and um, it's taking its toll. Let's say that. I need some outdoor time. I need to, I need to, to look at that side of myself. <laughs> so that's how I'm doing. Yeah, this definitely seems to be a global turning point of people losing their damn minds. Well, and speaking of global, we have, we have piped in two people from Italy. Um, one of them is a guest that we've had before, fashion designer Edward Buchanan. And, uh, and we also have uh, another guest here with us this morning. We have a creative director, Gloria Maria Capaletti, and they're both based in Milan. And they are here to talk about the landscape for independent designers. And um, so welcome our guests. Welcome, Edward. Hi. And welcome, Gloria. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi, Hi guys. We're so so excited that you could join us from across the the pond, as they say. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me back. I know. And Edward, <laughs> we are familiar with you as a fashion designer. We implore our listeners to go and and check out the podcast that we've done with Edward in the past, and we'll put it in the notes here. But Gloria, please introduce yourself and tell us about the role that you play in Milan and why you're here as a representative <laughs> for independent designers. Exactly. So thanks for having me. Um well, I, I am a, I'm a creative consultant. I'm a creative director. I, I'm not young, so I have to say I have been working in the fashion industry since the 90s. Uh, and uh, I, when I came back to, to live in Milan, I started working with uh, photographers. But now I work as uh, editor-at-large for ID Italy. And uh, I work for uh, Vice, so I do consulting for uh, fashion clients, for, uh, for all, you know, like the Vice group. And uh, I work as a curator of a fashion film festival, Milan, uh, which has been running now for seven years. And I work with, uh, you know, I'm a teacher, so I work with the schools. And uh, I have been always... Uh, focusing on research this is uh, this is you know I'm, i feel so lucky to be able to to work in the fashion industry having also the capacity of being able to keep researching new talents and creativity um this is my passion and i'm i'm so blessed that i can actually translate this passion into a job you know <laughs> so Gloria, Gloria for me, I always say Gloria for me is like the cultural ambassador of Milan, you know, and I'm so happy to, to have her in this conversation because she has always been a reference point for me and many others for that matter within the landscape of what we do here in Italy. So this is exciting. Well, <laughs> thank you. I'm really excited to get a sense from both of you and, and Edward, actually, give, a, give us a little refresher on you and your brand, San Savino Say. Well, I'm, I'm a fashion designer, as we discussed before, and I, 
I, again, also I have been working in the industry for many years, you know, well past 20 years. So from having my own brand, consulting for many other brands, in this moment, I'm doing consulting for, you know, luxury to mass market brands, but I do have my brand Sense of Inno 6. It's been now in existence for almost more than 20, 21 years. It is still an independent brand made and manufactured 100% in Italy, distributed worldwide. And yeah, moving forward, it's, it's, a, it's still um, in operation. So I can knock on wood and be happy about that. Excellent. That's amazing. Okay, so guys, let's, let's launch right into this. We want to get a sense of how the, how the coronavirus, how COVID-19 and the climate that it has created, how that has impacted independent designers, certainly from your experience in Italy. You as an independent designer, Edward, Gloria, with your outreach with independent designers, give us a lay of the land there. Do you want to jump in there, Gloria? Yes. No, you know, the fact is that um, we are like already having a lot of different informations uh, coming in basically day by day, you know. So I would have to say that our first reactions uh, that we had uh, a month and a half ago, two months ago, are like a little by little developing into some like uh, factual ideas of what it can be for real and uh, what i what i'm seeing now it's like a fragmentation of possibilities in the sense that even like the news we had yesterday for example there's such a big brand like Saint Laurent is not going you know to like follow the the given rhythm or timing or schedule and wants to take a more like independent uh, uh, kind of rhythm you know so in a way i think that somehow there is going to be a possibility for younger brands to find their own rhythm. And so we're not going possibly to face a centralized regrouping, you know, of like before there was like a fashion week, everyone had to follow certain like a timing of a production of releasing the collections. So maybe now, in a way, there is a possibility to regain control on the way you want to actually create, produce, and distribute, following your own rhythm. And this can give possibly a more sustainable timing for everyone and try to find your proper niche. Sure. You know, so this is my, my feeling. The, the problem now is really to find like a, the economical support. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think difficult times require intelligent and, and somehow precise measures in, in understanding what you can do as a small and independent brand. You don't have bank loads and flushes of, of capital that are sitting there, you know, that will allow you to do things creatively. I remember when I first started my own brand in the 90s, it was a very different playing field. And, and we were able to, you know, within a small budget and creative consultants and people that you had around you to create with not much but creativity and, and the joy in actually doing it. So I think a lot of the yeah. brands right now, they find themselves in a position where even if you're a small and independent brand that's selling to, let's say, luxury-based stores, at any rate, you're shelved next to those brands that have enormous marketing and, and production budgets. So, you know, as a small designer, I find myself always in the position where I'm still competing, in a sense, with luxury brands because the stores that purchase the luxury brands and then they purchase you, we're the first ones that they're going to drop. 
And it's interesting because also it's not even just luxury. I think one of the reasons why I'm really interested to have this conversation is I don't think that many people are aware of just how few independent brands and designers there actually are because there are startups and venture-backed luxury brands and the market's been flooded with these kind of venture-backed D2C brands and obviously brands that are owned, whether they're luxury contemporary designer by these huge conglomerates. So actually to truly distill what is happening for independent brands, I think it's interesting to have this conversation. But I think to even walk it back, could you just talk to us about what it really means to be an independent brand? Because I think that will help to lens the conversation moving forward as to like exactly what the challenges, sure. strategies, supports, etc., are so that we're sure. clear. In a simple terms, you know, being independent brand to me means this, you know, from start one, getting the actual collection made. Being an independent brand that you're not connected to a licensing agreement or you're not connected to proper financial backer, all of this is done within your own financial means. So when you're creating a collection, We have to purchase fabrics. You have to buy yarns. Okay. So once you have the collection finished and completed, what we really have to be concerned with, where we sell it through. What what are the means of selling it? Are we doing it in our own showroom? Are we doing it in a multi-mark showroom? Once we have the showroom settled, we place the orders. Now, as a small brand, the large problem that has always been for my brand is that we have to ask for 30%. So once you get the 30%, then you have to worry about the delivery. So you have to pre-order the materials. You know, if you don't have the, the order confirmation, then what happens there? You know, as a small independent brand, you are, you know, you are, you're the only one that can oversee and understand how this system is going to work for you. It's a, it's a shit show. As much yeah. as it is beautiful and fantastic to be able to call my own shots and have, have been able to call my own shots within the business, it really starts to, um, especially right now, specifically, it really starts to trickle down to... Uh, it becomes like a double-edged yeah. sword where you have full autonomy of your, your direction and your creativity, but there is no, There's no safety, safety net in terms of marketing, funding, right? And I thought that was important to set up because... Uh, when we talk about independent designs, sorry, independent brands and designers, I think people think more about an aesthetic or an idea and less about the business tactics, the brass tacks of what it actually means to be truly independent and have to rely on your own resources to be able to move forward. So I just thought that was really uh, an interesting point to highlight sure. at this early point in the conversation. They really go yes. hand in hand. Yes, and what I wanted to say is that this also changed over time because uh, I used to work in New York, as I said, in the 90s, and I was working for Stella Ishi in New York. And I remember that when, you know, she, she was like the president of, uh, of Staff USA, so there were like 13 fashion collections uh, that were uh, sold from, uh, from Staff, and Stella was in charge of the whole operation. And she was actually very, very sharp on having um, buyers pay in advance when they wanted to buy collections from independent, super cool upcoming designers. But she was very, very, like, you know, underlining I needed to have, and it was like a 70% advance. Otherwise, the buyer would not be able to close the order. But these things 
changed and shifted dramatically in time because now I really understand that this is not happening, you know, the same. And so my question was always like, how can a young designer support his or her own collection without having this advance? But before it was not like that. The system was working in a different way. So maybe somehow we have to go back to what was before. Well, that's a tremendous Absolutely. observation, Gloria, and, and Edward as well. You outlined that what we have to understand is what a precarious situation an event like this can leave independent brands in. As you said, uh, Gloria, in the 90s, like Estella Ishif of Stuff USA, she recognized how sort of like thin thread an independent designer had in terms of their solvency. Yeah. And so she was protecting them, understanding, you know, the, the, the doing business essentially and how things add up. But I have to say in this age, a lot of independent designers have just sort of been left hung out there in order to survive. And what you're saying is just like, in many ways, the way the system has been set up, it has not been there to protect these independent designers and certainly not there for, you know, for their longevity when an event like this takes place. Exactly. And let us, let us underline, let us underline that that, which was 70% in the 90s, which is around 30% now, asking a store to pay 30 cents 30% in advance, it guarantees us that we can order materials ahead of time. It guarantees us that we can secure deliveries because as a small designer, they don't give you 20 or 30 days to be late when delivering to a store. If you are not delivering on the time of confirmation that you agreed on the contract, they're canceling the order. So that 30%, sometimes even 20%, is a protection for us that we can actually get things done. So yeah. the, the system is, is swirling in, in a really uncontrollable rate. Yeah, but I think to that point about this system, we're talking largely about wholesale. And I think there was a demise in wholesale before the pandemic, I think, you know, with like Barney's yeah. and such stores closing. I think we're going to see an acceleration of that definitely during the pandemic and post-pandemic. So how is that going to change your business in terms of upfront payments and selling wholesale versus direct-to-consumer? Well, you know, <laughs> I've been having this, this direct-to-consumer conversation for a long time. I've actually talked to Jason about this. And it, for me, in my head, in the way that, that I operate my small business, it's one of the only ways that I can see operating going forward. I've never been a brand that has had a huge uh, relationship with department stores or America. We sell in the, you know, in the East, in Europe. They've always been boutiques that have, have supported the business. And, and for me, understanding exactly who my consumer is and being able to, to somehow relate to them and feed them with the product that they really want from me is, is kind of the way to the future. And, that means also thinking about, you know, what were, what were trunk shows like even in the 90s? What was it like when you were able mm -hmm. to create a collection and pick it up and go to a city or go to a house of a friend and create an atmosphere where, where people can come into the atmosphere and feel and touch the product and talk to the designer? This is kind of a way, it's, it's a small way, but I think... We don't have to think large right now. I think we have to think complete. I think we have to think strategically. We have to think sustainably. 
I think going into the future, this is this is what's in my mind. It's been in my mind even pre-pandemic, but I think it's the only way that I can envision orga- organizing myself in order to still create, but at the same time have a direct relationship with with the consumer. Well, I, I love well, that. Well, what I think that what I think you're both saying. I mean, um, Gloria, you spoke to yeah. the the decentralized system, and that's effectively what you're saying, Edward. Going a true independent route without uh, without any system in place. You don't have a delivery schedule that's traditional right. uh, to the industry. Like you devise your own and you have a you have a relationship with your consumers. And I think that's what has happened during this time is that that direct link with designer, small brands, independent brands to consumer has been interrupted. I know we've there's been a lot of talk about it in this age, but I find that many brands also have issues with with like going independently to have a digital strategy to reach their consumers. You spoke about marketing and all those other facets that one needs in order to be successful at doing this. It seems to be a great alternative, a decentralization. But Edward and Gloria, do you feel that a brand can be buoyed simply by their own outreach to a consumer base in this age? Mm, this is interesting. You know, the fact is that listening to what Edward was saying, um, it comes to my mind that uh, maybe we have to reevaluate what luxury means. So, if you know, so because when we talk about fashion, that's like a very broad name, you know. So, to me, it's interesting to understand what is going to be the future of luxury and what true luxury is. To me, something as Edward was like, you know, picturing and visioning, this is a true luxury, is to be able to have even like a conversation with a designer that is that, you know, that you want to have like a garment from. So there is this like a, a, you know, peculiar, very exclusivity. This is actually luxury. It's very exclusive. It's a -a vis-a-vis that you have with the creativity and you are part of that creativity as well. This is luxury and that involves a time and involves a lot of craftsmanship and involves culture. There are like so many levels of what luxury can be in that direction, like tailoring. You know, this is something so special that very, very few people still understand. And maybe, you know, this is even like a further evolution to go back into something like what Edward was talking about. This is like really luxury. Uh, And to me, it's also really fashion. This is really fashion. Uh, Then there is like, you know, the other side of fashion that is more about actually having to sell large amounts of uh, of clothing and but that's something else so maybe <laughs> you know in a way right. we need more creative expressions and then at the same time we also have to think of what it's going to be like going in a store and buy something because it's going to be a totally different idea of experience so you go in a store with the mask mm. and then you have to like try on clothing but then you know our they going to be disinfected are they you know like what about the virus yeah. and then you don't feel comfortable it's not an experience anymore that it's like a, you know relaxing you and then what kind of luxury is just to receive a box at your doorman you know what i mean so to me there is like a, we have to preserve culture 
And to me, what Edward was uh, talking about, like really puts fashion on a really high sphere of uh, cultural exchange, which to me is what fashion should be. And we lost it uh, for a while, you know. But the big question for me, Gloria, sure. is I, I understand that I understand the paradigm shift. I understanding I understand reshaping this industry, reshaping your business and your vision. But can you bring the consumer along to this slowed pace, to this quote luxury that you that you say? And while we talk about communication direct to your audience, can you really bring them along for that ride beyond the storytelling? Uh, that's interesting because, like, once I had a conversation with uh, Olivier Zam, he was invited at Fashion Film Festival Milan and he came and he told me, ah, you know what, that the more exclusive you are, the more people are going to find you and want you. And so he said, you know, I have this nightclub in, in Paris and I told everyone, don't talk about it. And everyone knew about it. So in a way... You know, it really depends even like a communication because we are overloaded by communication and maybe there are very alternative ways to do communication as well, you know. So sometimes sometimes it becomes very disruptive to think completely in a different way. At least it's a moment that we can try, you know, because it's such a chaotic moment, you know, that maybe it's a moment to try. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, it's, the fashion industry is, what are we now, about like three, three trillion. Yeah. So it's dominated by huge, enormous, overzealous companies that are really strong and operate a lot of retail space. They operate and dominate uh, retail, department store businesses, online businesses. It's enormous. And what we have to think about now is scale. Why do we as small businesses have to be that? Why does that, why does that have to be the inspiration for us? We've gone overboard in thinking that all of the businesses that we create and operate have to be enormous and attract billions. It's okay to think in a small form and serve a small client base in a very well articulated and curated way in order to think about how you want to grow. I think we have to pull back. We have to step back and really consider how, how we really want to build these businesses and thinking about in a very sustainable way as well. Well, it's I have a lot of observations uh, about that, Edward, and I, and I hear you. And I, I think why I, I'm on the divide, I'm on the fence between, you know, going a very boutique route, I, boutique meaning a very small business, direct to consumer and so forth. And then let's say counter that against the big business model is that I think we are in an age now that even the smallest business, the tools that you need to operate the smallest business, you have to be a savvy social media promoter. You know, you have to understand, you, you have to be a good customer service entity. There are features that still is required. And the marketing, I always like to talk around the marketing because that's a very nebulous area. And where just because you exist, just because you're doing wonderful things, that doesn't necessarily mean that your customer base will find you. And so I think about that. Yes, I think about the pivot. I think about the disruption and how, yes, a lot of brands will be forced into a smaller, slower sort of um, business model. But 
I don't I don't want to paint this rosy this rosy picture saying that well oh that's the answer because you'll find your audience there and your business will be solvent and you'll survive it's not necessarily that easy we're still in a marketplace with a glut of product and a glut of brands and I have to ask the question as well that we want you know I maybe I, I shouldn't assume that we're all saying this but I want a thinning of those big multinational fast fashion brands. I want a thinning in those ranks. But should we not be asking for thinning in the independent ranks as well? Isn't that overloaded with too many designers doing too many things independently and ultimately not necessarily reaching their, maximizing their goals? So I think about that too. Mm, yeah. But maybe about you guys, but go ahead. No, it's true. I think that, I mean, of course, what you say is also true. What I'm thinking is also there are some, uh, I would say, like a model. I mean, I don't want to really say, to use the word model, but in a way it is. Uh, you know, if I think about the power of community, you know, Edward knows this is something that I always love to talk about. And the fact is that getting together, get a lot of creative people together supporting each other. I truly believe in that. So, for example, we saw it with the Shane when he did Hood by Air, and now we see it with the Telfar, who is furthering the steps in that direction to have a lot of creative people all together, getting strong, supporting each other. In a way, your voice is part of a wider group of people with the same values and you know pushing all together in the same direction. So in this moment where there is like a lot of, I would say we can create alternative systems systems it's not about creating one alternative systems but like creating a lot of different ones where you have like you know designers or group of creative people getting together it's kind of having like movements you know that bring along cultural values that are shared that can be like you know fashion and music and arts a lot of different aspects coming together so maybe this can uh, bust up the recognition, you know, so you find your own way of communicating, but you, don't, you are not necessarily alone. I, I, be, I believe it's also a moment of coming together and supporting each other a lot because alone you can't do a lot. You have to have your, you know, like sure. your, your kind of extended family. Gloria. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point there. I know Henrietta, Henrietta and I have been speaking about collaboration a lot in other areas of our discussion that we have on this con on the conversation. So I find that to be really interesting. The, this whole idea of pooling resources, not necessarily going at it, uh, going at it alone. You know, really, really like collaborate. Yes. Um, I, Edward, maybe you could speak to that a little bit more. I mean, do, do in this time, do you have a, a vision of collaboration? How does that how does that come into play in your business? If it does. Yeah, I've discussed this in the past, and creatively, for San Sanguino 6, I've always collaborated, whether that be with other designers, whether that be with dancers, whether that be art architects. You know, I've created a, a community of collaborators that, that I've always worked with, even Gloria being one of them. I think that, yes, that's existed in the, in the base of, of, of my business, and I think going forward, that will be important as well. What really I question somehow is how we exist within this system that we are dealing with now. And I say this only because we talk about Saint Laurent, who 
can decide to show whatever they want to show. They're flushed with, with capital. They can decide if I want to show on Wednesday, they're advertisers. They can have people paying attention to whatever they want to do. We don't have that power as small independent designers that don't, ha- that don't have the money and don't even have that type of social media following. We're creating something which is, is sometimes very special. It, it may be expensive. It may be not necessarily so visual in an in a, in a online platform, which is why I keep insisting that there, there, there has to be a way where everything becomes much more sensitive. I want to find a more, I want to find a, a really a more compassionate and, and sensitive zone to work in. And I only say this after, you know, working so many years within this structured system that we're in today, but I'm really searching for a way to, to be more, more people friendly. I really agree with your direction forward. And I think it's definitely attuned to where we're going in terms of the need for connection and slowing down and just really developing what people need, fostering conversation, all of the things that fashion is really built on. That said, in terms of why we are where we are, I think a lot of the reason why we are where we are is because of this crowded landscape we found ourselves in, which has kind of fostered a insane amount of competition so you almost have to do more than you ordinarily would like to in order to just get the bare minimum and succeed to pay your teams to pay for production etc etc um within that competition a lot of it is these larger brands co-opting what the independent and the smaller brands are doing so to me that is really where the challenge sits right because a lot of the interesting themes that are coming out and designs that are coming out of independent brands the telfars the peer mosses you edward get co-opted and copied and you've got issues of plagiarism so are people even looking at you for what you believe in and stand for as the truest purest form when it's been co-opted by the Zara's and these other big box brands. Do you know what I mean? It's like, even when you look at what Telfar is doing with this notion of inclusion and this real culture of community, it definitely looks like what a lot of the bigger brands are doing today because they see that and they co-opt it. So in terms of that challenge, how do you see that moving forward, I guess, in a post-COVID landscape? Well, Telfar is a good example to use because Telfar after working so hard and for so many years on a product in a community has arrived at a point where he, he linked a great deal. He did a fantastic show at Pitti that was so beautiful and, and so sensitive. And here we arrive at this pandemic leading up to that. Yes, he is one of the designers I would say that is on the tip of everyone's tongue. And I'm sure there's a lot of plagiarism and copying from him as well as other small designers in that respect, but I, I don't think that, um, and I've had this happen to me in the past as well. I don't think we can get blocked by that. We, even as small designers, we don't have the possibility to fight those large companies for copying something that's ours. We don't have the organization to fight those large entities. It's somehow become, unfortunately, a part of this game. And as young, as young creatives or as developed um, independent creatives, 
we have to figure out how we move forward. It's survival for us. So you're you know? saying that there's not a fight in the face of Goliath that essentially um, just, you know, pack up your things and go in the other direction and keep doing, you know, whatever you do. Hopefully that there's a well of creativity there for you to continue to, you know, to do your business. But essentially that shouldn't be your fight. But, but I, I want to ask something along those lines. Well, I'll tell you this. Let me tell you this, Jason. Let me say this. Several years ago, I realized, well, we realized that there were two George Armani sweaters that were identical to the sweaters yeah. that I developed. And they were absolutely identical from point to point. So when you took the picture and you looked at the San Silvino Say sweater, which we've been developing, meanwhile, for eight years, and it's a classic, that was the exact same sweater and the exact same dickie. I sent a letter to George Armani. And I didn't receive any response. The very large company, Giorgio Armani, against Sansovino Se, which is a very small company. I talked to lawyers regarding design, registration, and, and how does this work. He didn't encourage me to follow through with it. He said, you're going to spend an enormous amount of money and you may not arrive at anything. So in the spirit then of collaboration that we were speaking before, and allow me this, I've been watching <laughs> Making the Cut with um, Heidi, Heidi Klum and, um, and um, I forget her psychic's name, but I was thinking about something. Essentially, it's a competition show. It's the new Project Runway. It's essentially a competition show that's underwritten by Amazon. And the designers on there are, are seasoned but independent designers. And the prize is essentially, well, one of the prizes, besides a million dollars, the prize is to sell their collection on, on Amazon. And I was thinking about that. And, and a nod to what you just said, Edward. Here we have this Goliath who has amazing reach, resources, manufacturing, distribution, the whole, the whole bit. I was thinking, is there a responsibility and is there a role that an Amazon of the world can play in this, new, in this new arena, but effectively are able to essentially give them a platform to sell and distribute for them because they have taken over so much of this business? Is this, am I thinking altruistically, or could this be a real proposition for a business model? Wow. Um, I don't mean to stump anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I thought about it. I was like, wow. I was like, this is really being displayed right in front of me. And again, Amazon is not going anywhere anytime soon. However, independent designers are likely to do so. So isn't this a proposition of marriage? <laughs> Uh, Amazon is no different than Louis Vuitton, Moe, Hennessy, or Caring in that respect. No, they are an enormous entity and they can make or break a brand, obviously. So if you're a, a small independent brand or a small designer looking to move into that territory, they can give you that opportunity. But that's a choice. I'm no longer searching for that opportunity to move into it doesn't necessarily attract me as a, as a business model for growth going into the future. But we are, there's, a, there's many different playing fields here, I think, that we have to deal with in the industry. And I just, as, again, I repeat, for, for my future and where I'm thinking about going within my, my small little box here, it's somewhere very different than that. Your thoughts on that, Gloria? I mean, the first of all... Field? 
I would never apply to, I mean, I never saw, I don't have even have a television at home. So I, I don't know what is this program about, but hearing that to me is just like uh, <laughs> hell. And if I was a fashion designer, I would never apply to this uh, television show. And of course, I would never want to have my collection on Amazon. This is the worst thing that happened to <laughs> a designer. And that seems to be to the be reoccurring theme. <laughs> That's my personal idea. I feel the same way. I really do. I fear that maybe, Jason, 25 years ago, I would have felt in a very different way. I think that the the experience, my experience and having my own company for so many years, I realized that that's really not what I want and and I can't imagine... Well, I find this interesting that, you know, everyone on this conversation is shuts that down. Well, I think I think it's less about shutting it down. And I think it's more about the changes that Amazon would have to make as a business, because I think before in terms of the brands that I used to consult for and work for in the past, the challenge was the interface, right? It's the least fashionable platform ever. It's a ranking system. There are pricing inconsistencies. It might cannibalize your own e-commerce or direct-to-consumer or retail or wholesale efforts because of the scale of the platform. But then it's also a lot of kind of mess that you have to search through to even get found. And that does involve advertising money and marketing money, much like visibility on Facebook via ads. So there's so many challenges that need to be um, navigated in order to make something viable on Amazon. But that's not to say it won't change. But also, I think one of the challenges just from an ethics standpoint is given that Amazon are like literally one of the very few winners in this pandemic, do we want to fuel that more and then compromise a fashion experience to adhere to the codes of Amazon. I think it just feels more complicated more than like shutting it down just for our industry specifically. Well, anyway. sure. They are a winner in the pan- Amazon is, uh, they are winners in the pandemic because they're, they're, they're set up with, with many different facets where you can just order anything on Amazon. You can watch anything, mm-hmm. you can order anything. There's still for me something very unsustainable about, about it. Yes, I agree with it you. It kind of skews me out, actually. Well, I, guys, I have to tell you, you know, some of, some of the listeners may, may be identifying this very impasse as to maybe some of the issues in the fashion industry. When I, when I mentioned Amazon, and I, I don't necessarily have a position either way, this is just me thinking about it. When I mentioned Amazon, I wouldn't, I'm thinking about something more equitable, something more considerate of the designer. All of the, all of the things that you mentioned, Henrietta, about the presentation of the site and all of those sort of things. I would be envisioning a more, a better presentation, as I said, more, more equity for the designers and more autonomy, certainly for designers. Essentially, just using that platform and its reach. But I think a lot of people feel that fashion people are impenetrable in many ways in terms of their ethos and ideologies and are not necessarily the best collaborative thinkers, and that may be a part of their demise, if they're unwilling to compromise and work with others, and they would rather go the way of debt. <laughs> but to be fair, though, do you not think that part of the advantages, like we mm. Edward outlined previously, part of the advantages of being an independent designer is so you don't have to concede and compromise in what you want to achieve. And so while I do think that post-pandemic, there is a huge opportunity for collaboration, 
I think that is a lot in kind of certain business tactics. But in terms of what you actually deliver as a brand, isn't that why you don't take on investors and why you don't join a conglomerate? It's so that you could actually manifest and put out into the world exactly what you Well, I think that's what we're outlining. We're outlining just how challenging that is that's how challenging because what is that customer and if we're eliminating the wholesale model that's like the biggest challenge and by the way henrietta just to make this point the wholesale model there was already compromising compromises taking there edward i'm sure and sure you as well gloria can speak to this how have designers been tailoring their designs to suit the needs of stores they've been doing this for some time so in terms of compromises about how what you design and what ultimately reach the consumer that's already a part of this industry and a part of the this paradigm so compromises do happen along the way but again i question if there are channels to sell your merchandise and you would not try to devise a favorable system within that channel um well, that shows that maybe you, you're willing to let your brand go the way of because you're unwilling to compromise. Again, an observation. Well, fair enough. Fair enough, Jason. But here's the problem here. I think we found ourselves in, as an industry in a whole, we found ourselves in this position because we kept growing everything that was, you know, first there was a, a just a resort collection and there was a main collection. And then we added in a pre-fall collection and then deliveries were broken down into three or four times a year. You know, I'm talking about retail. I'm talking about wholesale. There was just so much product. There's so much product being shifted and, and, and switched into the store mm-hmm. and, and every second. So that means mass market and that means luxury as well. So a company like Amazon, in order to operate, they have to have product coming in weekly, if not daily, feeding a system. So how how is looking at that model of working how is that sustainable for us how can we go forward thinking once again nothing changes because we go back to once again feeding a machine there's no way to step back and say whoa well, Edward, I envision we're in a time where things get redefined and reset I'm not envisioning things. And again, this is this is off-the-cuff thinking on my part. I'm not envisioning things as they were set. We, again, what I think we all are saying in this conversation is that there is a, a point here where we can shift things, where we can rewrite the rules, if you will. And so can we not envision the new paradigm that is considerate of, and again, I'm not trying to say Amazon is this compassionate, you know, multinational brand now, but I'm just saying, let's think a little optimistically. I'm not getting much optimism from this conversation. Let's think a little optimistically. And if we're, if we're to create solutions, is this an opportunity? Because I'm interested to hear what the other independent brands are saying out there. Would they think that Amazon is like a complete dead end or platforms like this? What's the other platform in London? NJAL. Um, I, I forgot it's something about independent designers that's in that titling. But again, like, what mm. <laughs> is there no opportunity to align with a greater entity, a larger entity, and still preserve the nucleus of your brand? I'm not arguing the point that there doesn't exist or there shouldn't exist other larger platforms that help smaller brands, but not in the rapid consistency that we've been doing in the past. We have to step back and we have to slow down and we have to be more careful about the product that we're putting out there, who we're serving. I think it's, for me, it's more the amount. 
I'm really thinking about uh, too much of everything. And I, I don't know, um, I don't have any answers about what that's going to mean for me in the future. I'm talking small, I'm, all, I'm talking so small that, you know, there's not even probably a return that will actually support the business that I'm thinking right now. And I don't have an answer to that right now, but this is how I'm thinking going forward. So my question is, and my vision of how independent designers may possibly work with them in this age is, would involve rewriting the script, would involve not necessarily how things are now. Henrietta had mentioned, like, their interface is not great. The search on Amazon is not brilliant. So to find a cool luxury independent design, I'm envisioning something different. I'm saying if Amazon was, say, considerate and or platform like Amazon was considerate of greater equity with the designer and greater autonomy and so forth, that can a better scenario be imagined where this Goliath that's not going to go anywhere play a role in the, in the distribution and manufacturing potentially of a brand? And the sentiment that I was getting, mm, well, no, mm, the player is tainted. Edward was saying the player is tainted because of the heavy, you know, manufacturing and distribution. They're selling too much product full stop. And Henrietta, I think, was more stylistic um, opposition. But again, my, my observation was just like, I think that people, listeners may be out there being like, okay, well, that's kind of the problem with the fashion industry. Everyone kind of wants to do their own thing and wants to be independent and wants to do... But however, because of the way the industry have found itself, there's such a it's such saturation. Is like, as independent as you want to be, do you have the ability to reach your client base, regardless of how amazing your designs are, how amazing your, your ideations are? Like, if it's difficult to reach a client base anyway, can you consider collaboration and partnership, even with a Goliath like Amazon in this age, to mm. reach an audience? That's what I was saying. And I they're, both opposed opposed. they're both opposed for the record. So I oppose it too, right because to me, Amazon <laughs> is the last fashionable thing. I mean, you can buy, like, I don't know, like uh, socks or maybe like a book or a cleaning products for the house on Amazon, you know, but I would never really have the fashion experience thinking like I do, I'm like, because finally fashion is also something that you want to do for, you know, for yourself. It's like a special moment. It's like a way to treat yourself. And then when you go on Amazon, to me, it's more about like practical and grocery shopping kind of like experience. So I, I don't find it inspiring. And then, as I said before, also to me, like fashion is, is somehow culture, you know, unless it's just buying like a white T-shirt, then okay, it's fine, you know, but like a fashion has, you know, you need to have some inspiration and then it's like some creativity kicking in and then somehow it's like it's culture the way you dress uh, it's part of being respectful for your body and the way you want to present yourself so there is a lot of layers of information that goes into buying a garment and so if you want to keep that kind of like inspiration going on um, I don't think that you can do it through something like Amazon or whatever kind of a platform that is not giving you a personal perspective on the creativity of the designer. But on the other hand, we have like uh, associations like Camera Nazionale della Moda, you know, like you know, the fashion chambers, like there are organs uh, 
that should yeah. work in this direction to help the designers. You know what I mean? Because they have to preserve what fashion yeah, is. You know? Otherwise, it's just product. A hundred percent. And I think that's why it's less pessimistic in general and, and just less optimistic about Amazon as a platform. Because I think that, you know, one of the issues with fashion is that it's really become so convoluted. It's all an amalgamation of like many things that's created this homogenous landscape. Now fast fashion looks like luxury, looks contemporary, looks like Zara. It just all is merging into one. So I wonder if the challenge here also would be, um, do we want another large establishment governing these independent brands or being housed by them but also are there other modes or institutions or support systems that we can set up or that exist British Fashion Council other types of investment that can help independent brands so that it becomes less of that conglomerate model and more how are we really fostering the codes and the tenets that independent fashion design is built on and lets it thrive versus, you know, allows it to conform into something as big as Amazon. So I think that to me is is really important. Plus, I don't see Amazon or a platform like Amazon changing their back-end machinations to support independent fashion design, given that it's such a utilitarian platform. Independent fashion or fashion in general is such a small component to their bottom line. I don't see them changing their interface, their ranking system, their search abilities, and all of the challenges because of the way Amazon is set up. So I think it's it's more about these platforms and less about the idea of collaboration because I think that that is interesting and what will help get us out but is there opportunity to collaborate in a different way Mm -hmm. and I think if you look at institutions like the CFDA who we're still trying to figure out what they even do this to me would be an opportunity where they would get up and say okay right let's actually reshape our manifesto and like get design back on the map. And then the same for the British Fashion Council, the same as it pertains to the French and Italy, et cetera, et cetera, and actually figure out how we can work regionally, nationally and globally to get fashion back Mm. on the map so that people can like exist and operate in the ways that they intend, whether it's conglomerates and whether it's independent design, because I think that fashion needs that diversity to thrive rather than this idea of conformity, yes, which I totally has agree. kind of been the demise of the industry. No, so, what I, say I, think, like, I, think I totally agree you, because you really want to preserve, like you use the word like a diversity, which is so good, you know, because like designers, they have, different perspective, different uh, creativity, different visions, and you have somehow to preserve this diversity of visions of what fashion can be. And as I said as well, it's like this, is, I always like to link the word of fashion to culture, because for me, it's about culture, finally, and you want exactly. And so you don't mm-hmm. want to have this like, you know, big mm, giant so stepping in and, and basically make everything look the same. And as you say, it's going to be very difficult to find your own voice. This is something that we really sure. have to preserve the, the the voice of the designer to me you know can you imagine like uh, even uh, so many years ago like i don't know margela or reka vacubo on amazon you know <laughs> post pandemic and, and 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 you're not wrong jason in, in in this conversation it's really important what we're saying because you have to we have to consider also what's going to happen are are, are 
going in-store relationships are going to change Huge. enormously. Hugely. They're saying that you have to make appointments to go into an H&M. Hello. That's H&M. <laughs> so how, how, <laughs> right. And what you're saying is, I understand exactly what you're saying, but but creating a somehow a platform that can be sensitive oh. to, to oh, design God. and linking those things is really important. And I remember, I'm going to go back many years, but I remember when Net-A-Porte first started, they were, when I was doing The Flesh, they were one of my first clients. And when they came in, Natalie Messina came in to see the collection. And we were, me and Manuela, we were kind of freaked out because we were like, this is okay. an online store. It was so abstract for us. It was the weirdest thing ever. And and what they were doing was very beautiful in the beginning because it was they were creating, you know, these kind of micro mm. stores for each designer within the context of of this online platform that was so new for us. So we had kind of a shop in shop, but it was all digital. And it was very beautiful because it was very sensitive. It told the story of what we did, what we came from. It said where the the manufacturing took place, the materials that we were using. And it's saying, it, it, it's exactly like you said, um, Gloria, it was it was very poetic in the way that they built that. And and this is the type of Well, that's what that, I mean, Edward. That, and that's yeah, what, that that's what I was about. afraid of in this conversation is that, you know, p- people taking our temperature here is thinking um, that we're purists. And that we're all guard. And I'm so glad that you gave this example of Netta Porte, yeah. you know, for when they when they arrived on the scene and the pushback. Yeah. And that's exactly what I mean, Edward. How you how you just saw their vision was different. It was considerate of designers, it was considerate of brands, it was interested in telling their stories. And that's what I mean. And see, these are I have three people on this call that I know very well. And you and and I know your histories very well, but still yet, and I know a lot of people in fashion probably would immediately leave onto the same um, or have the same opinion that you guys do. But I got to tell you, that's, it, it's almost dangerous to not see that breadth of opportunity, not in the way that has been fixed, but in your ability to augment the system. And so that's why I was really leaning in on that point of conversation, because if we're unable to see, even with the Goliath in the room, if we're able to see how we benefit the Goliath and ultimately the customer, then we an opportunity maybe you missed here, a significant opportunity to remain in business and to reach your customer may be overlooked. And that's what I mean. Sure. Fast, fast forward that what, what we're being uh, obviously, bold yeah. that Amazon idea. <laughs> what ended up happening? Yeah. Clearly, Amazon is the only that word. <laughs> and so, what, what we arrived at, what ended up happening is that um, is that companies such as Amazon have have almost um, treated the brands that are in house almost like a a grocery store, where they're buying essentially the same sweater from. 16 different designers because it's done well for them last season. Or, you know, they're buying this brand because they saw it on Gigi Hadid and this brand because... So it's transformed into a a, a monster that that anyone that has any any sensitivity and, and, you know, kind of uh, idea of building something based on culture, Mm. as Gloria said, is afraid of that. Yeah, you know, we're really, we're but really I want to really and say crap. that they have uh, an option to hire us as a fashion consultant for the new amazing platform where there is going to be a respect for the designer. <laughs> okay, we're going to work on it. <laughs> okay, 
L'Oreal? <laughs> exactly. That's a, exactly. That's a proposition. That's a proposition. And actually, I don't, I don't, I don't find Me that too. funny. Me too. I'm laughing, but I am very serious about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Get on Absolutely. the phone. Okay. Get, Get on the phone. Go. I'm down for that. Um, so my last question is the parallels between where we're based is that we're both in these epicenters. Italy was a European epicenter of the pandemic and here in the US as well, like we're in New York, which is the epicenter. I wondered if you'd seen any trends or anything that started to kind of percolate in the fashion space that might inform what might happen here for independent designers or fashion in general? Because I think that what's happening with you guys is that everything's happening first. Obviously, you were first impacted, you were first quarantined, you're a few weeks further along than we are. So I'm just interested to see if there are any themes or patterns that uh, might be useful insights for us here in the US. Well, I've noticed the, the, the first thing that I noticed is that professionals in various fields became much more sensitive to um, having conversations about things that they wouldn't normally talk about digitally. Whether they be, you know, different fashion groups having conversations about specific ways to handle the pandemic or where we're going to go with the pandemic is a, kind of the real first time that I saw collectively everyone discussing the future of what's going to happen within the fashion industry. And I think that was across the board in America and in Europe. Yeah. Me, what I, what, what I can say is that in the very beginning, everything kind of stopped and, you know, everything was kind of put into parentheses because people were just trying to get a lot of information on the news uh, and like being uh, like hooked up on the last release of information and data coming to understand, you know, what the virus, how it was evolving. And so uh, there was not really conversations going on about like uh, what to do in terms of business and work. But then now things sh shifted like uh, quite quickly because everyone kind of understood that this is going to take a while. It's not going to be, it's not that we go back into like, uh, you know, full activity uh, in a month or so. It's going to take a while. And so everyone is like really trying to understand what to do. And we are like discussing in a more operative way. Uh, you know, in functional way, the further steps. And, uh, and then uh, I have like a lot of conversations at the moment happening with the fashion schools because uh, they are not, of course, stopping the way they are teaching to the students, even if it's now online but they still need to engage them in a lot of different activities. And then now we're like, you know, brainstorming on how to present the collection of the students. And so there is like a lot of exchange. And as I said, in the very beginning, everything kind of stopped because you kind of need to adjust to being at home and understanding what is happening and gathering information. Now we are on a phase where we kind of understand it's going to take a while and everyone wants to like work somehow and keep moving. Okay, guys. Well, absolutely. we've had quite a long conversation here. Thank you both so much for weighing in on clearly an important one, an important conversation. And I appreciate the perspective that we brought to this. And, um, and I, I, for no doubt, we're going to have to revisit this. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. Gloria. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope to see you soon. Yes. Thank you both for I joining us. Take care of yourselves. Now. Ciao, guys. Uh, thank okay. you. Stay safe. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye.
time for something 